Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. I want to begin today's episode by acknowledging that I'm recording this from my home on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Tecumseh to Shaquemek people within Shaquemekulu. And I'm very grateful to be an uninvited guest on these lands. If you're in HR and you have gone to a dinner party in the last few months, chances are one of your friends or family members have asked you, where did all the workers go? Am I right? It actually happened to me twice at the same gathering last week. Inevitably, someone will say something about government benefits during the pandemic to help explain the help-wanted situation in Canada. Or my other favorite common response is that it's the lazy millennials, and in general, young people. They just don't want to work. Neither of these is true. You may already know the answer to this dinner party FAQ, but in case you don't, in today's episode, I'm going to talk about what I believe, and what people way smarter than me believe, is causing the labor market crunch in Canada. And also, what this means for us in HR. There's a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. Okay, let's check some stats and put a few myths to bed right off the start. I want to begin by acknowledging that the pain in the labor market is very real for employers today. According to Statistics Canada, the unemployment rate in June and in July is 4.9%, and the number of employed people fell by 43,000 in the month of June and a further 30.6,000 in July. The majority of this decline was from self-employed people, which could be a good thing for employers because it often means they're taking full-time jobs. But regardless, the number of job ads, radio ads, help-wanted signs in windows and on vehicle decals are all a sign of some very tough times for employers. If they survived the pandemic and stayed afloat, they're now facing supply chain issues, labor issues, and the need to increase prices to account for rising inflation. It's not really a good news story. But what I can say with some confidence is that this is not the fault of millennials, the generation that everyone seems to want to pick on these days. Nor is it the fault of government-sponsored benefits that helped individuals and businesses when the pandemic started. You only need to look at the latest job market stats for Canada to see a different story. And don't worry, there's a handy link to find the latest ones in the show notes of this episode, if you want to do some digging on your own. Yes, unemployment is at an all-time low, month after month, but it's not because younger workers don't want to work. In fact, the biggest group leaving the workforce in June was older workers. Yep, you heard me. The biggest decline in June was people over the age of 55, and in particular, men over the age of 55. And in July, it was the same story, though the sex shifted from men to women, in particular, women over the age of 64. 
Now, if you think about that, it's not really shocking news that people over the age of 55 leave the workforce because that's the age that a lot of people retire. And the older they get, the more likely it is that this will happen. I know this isn't the case for everyone, but few people retire before age 55. So this seems like a natural thing, right? People get older and they retire and they leave the workforce. Now, I want you to hold that thought for a moment because we're going to come back to it. Which demographic group is sitting exactly where it was pre-pandemic in terms of employment? So glad you asked. It's people aged 15 to 24. In fact, they have also been the most stable group in terms of employment since February 2022. Yes, it's young people who are staying employed. Now, that age group is not exactly millennials, but let's look at the core age group for labor, which is 25 to 54. Here again, the numbers don't fit the narrative that some people want to tell around the dinner table. In July 2019, labor force participation by this group was 87.2%. But in July 2022, it was 87.9%, hitting an all-time high of 88.6% in March of 2022. So the reality is, they're not just sitting around doing nothing, which is great news. Another good news story is that in the July labor stats, labor force participation of Indigenous people has increased by 8.4% year-over-year to 61%. And the biggest change has been in the young worker category. Overall, most of the employment loss in June and July comes from the service sector, and there was a loss of 51,000 jobs in the public service. There were, of course, also declines in health care and social services. I think we're all seeing the impacts of these service sector decreases when we try to eat at our favorite restaurant or buy something in a store or go to any restaurant for that matter. I was recently on vacation on Vancouver Island and my aunt and uncle wanted to take us to two specific restaurants and both of them were now closed on Tuesday. It actually wasn't a shock to me because earlier that day we tried to visit a restaurant near the ferry and guess what? They're now closed on Tuesday. I'm not sure what it is about Tuesday. Maybe someone in the restaurant industry can enlighten me. When we did find somewhere to eat, they were closing quite early, something I've also seen in a lot of places. Another restaurant we went to for lunch one day had one employee serving all the tables and making the drinks at the bar. It was a big restaurant, and though it was 1.30, so kind of past the lunch rush time, there were still about seven to nine tables at any given time while we were there. So we are all as consumers seeing firsthand the impacts to service jobs, even if we don't work in the industry. The other reality facing the service sector is rising costs due to inflation and supply chain issues. Shipping is more expensive, wages are more expensive, and I think some businesses know that if they pass on all those increased costs to consumers, they might not have a business. It's definitely a tricky and challenging situation. I know that I've seen the real cost of food increases and eating in a restaurant has become way more expensive. I was at one place while I was on earlier vacation this year and a glass of wine that I often buy in a bottle for $21 was $20 for a glass. 
The reality is people are going to make choices and business owners have to make choices. This talk about the service industry also leads me to another factor affecting the labor market. I hadn't really thought about it this way, but well-known HR and talent management expert and researcher Josh Burson, you may have heard of him, recently wrote about this on his blog. Burson points out that one of the reasons we are seeing a shortage of workers is because the jobs being created, and yes, jobs are being created in both Canada and the U.S., but these jobs are service and information jobs. And service and information jobs require humans to do them, and a lot of them. So you have jobs being created. These jobs require humans rather than machines to perform them. And as such, you have an increase in the demand for labor. Yes, professionals like HR and in many other industries are purchasing more technology and automation And perhaps eventually that might eliminate some jobs or some types of jobs. But somebody has to create that automation, keep it up to date, and use it to inform decision making. So the jobs might change, where you do the job might change, but people are still very much in demand. So let's pause and recap before I go on. We've dispelled the myth that younger people and millennials are lazy and don't want to work. Just as an aside, I have two kids under the age of 18, and both of them are working at least three days a week, both in the service industry, and the majority of their friends are also working. We can see that it's not young people not working and those in the core age group. We see the people leaving the labor market recently are over the age of 55, And we have increasing demand in industries that require a lot of human capital. Now, let's talk about the supply side of things. Pete Peters, my very first economics professor, would be so proud of me right now. Anyway, let's go back to the original question. Where have all the workers gone all of a sudden? And I'm using air quotes with all of a sudden because this is the perception people have. One day we all woke up and there was no one to work. And it does kind of seem like that's what's happening, but it's not the whole story. In the late 1990s, or perhaps it was early 2000s, I attended my very first CPHR conference. And it was there that I learned about demographics and the impact demographics have on the economy and workplaces. We were treated to a keynote by Canadian economist and author David Foote. With Daniel Hoffman, he wrote a book that was published in the mid-1990s, I think 96, 97, called Boom, Bust, and Echo. You may have heard of it. And of course, you can find a link for David's website and where you can find the book in the show notes. But what I and other HR professionals learned that day was that Canada was going to be in a labor crisis when our biggest demographic group, the baby boomers, retire. Baby boomers, according to David, are people that were born between 1947 and 1966. And the tail end of that group is what we refer to as Generation X. Today, these people are 56 to 75 years old. And according to the most recent census, they are approximately 9.33 million of them. The next generation people born to the generation before the baby boomers or to early boomers is called the baby bust, 
according to Foote and Stoffman. This is my generation and the group born between 1967 and 1979. This group is often called Gen X. And I have to say, that's how I've referred to myself ever since I learned about demographics. But they call this group the bust because it's a much smaller demographic group in Canada. The introduction of the birth control pill in 1961 and the increasing number of women working meant fewer babies were being born. And if you look at the demographic charts today, as of the last Canadian census, there are only approximately 7 million of us in Canada. Now the next generation is the echo of the boom. These are the people born 1980 to 1995, according to Foote and Stoffman. Today, they are aged 27 to 42. Now, since they are the children of the biggest boom, you would think that by sheer numbers, they would also be a larger demographic group. And they are slightly bigger than the bus generation. But the boomers were simply not as prolific as their parents. Plus, again, you have more women working full-time outside the home and establishing careers. And as a result, they had fewer children. Today, this generation is approximately 8 million people. So let's just pause there, and I'm going to let that set in with you. According to a CBC article summarizing these stats from 2016 to 2021, the number of Canadians aged 65 and older rose 18.3% to 7 million. As they so obviously state in the article, we have an aging population in Canada. And that's an important factor for you to consider as an HR professional. But what is more important as a fact that David and Daniel state in the book that I really want you to think about is that every year, each person gets a year older. I know that sounds obvious, but I'm going to say it again. Every year, everyone gets a little bit older. Now, my birthday is this month and I don't really want to think about the fact that I'm getting older, but it's true. Every year, whether you celebrate your birthday or not, you are aging. But the demographic cohorts don't change dramatically. Immigration has altered some of them, but even with huge influxes of immigration, there won't be a dramatic change or impact. So the big bulge of the baby boomers remains. My tiny little bus generation remains the size it is with slight variations. The millennials or the echo group, the children of the boomers, also stays relatively stable. Are you starting to see the picture? If you want to actually see the picture, check out the link to the CBC article in the show notes, where they have a visual of Canadian demographic groups from the last census. These are also the numbers I use to give approximates of people in each cohort. I think you're starting to see what's happening here. Yes, we had a pandemic, or we're having a pandemic, and some people left the workforce. But we can see from the stats of the last two months that we are pretty much back to pre-pandemic employability in the core working age groups. Government benefits have pretty much ended, if not ended entirely, for people affected by pandemic job losses in Canada. Jobs are being created, and people that can work seem to want to work and be working. So what's the problem? Well, it was a predictable one. More than 20 years ago in HR circles and at conferences like the one I mentioned, we talked about the labor crunch coming when the baby boomers retired. 
and we have been talking about it every year since in various formats. I remember reading a local labor force report for Kamloops when I was working in a workforce planning role five or six years ago that showed we are going to have a labor shortage in Kamloops in the very near future. And so we're in it, friends. This is the moment that we have talked about for decades, which is why it kind of makes me smile when people scratch their heads and wonder where all the workers are. They're cashing in their RSPs and creating a tax base that hopefully will be spent on healthcare, apprenticeship, training programs, and affordable housing. But that's for another podcast to contemplate. Now, non-HR people might not know this, but you do. And if you didn't before today, you know it now. I do want to clarify one point before we talk about what this means for HR. I'm not saying that the pandemic didn't have an impact. I think it's had a huge impact in speeding up something that was already coming. How many of you know one person who retired early when they were offered a retirement package in 2020? I know more than a few took this option where I work. So employers had to cut back and they helped some people along a few years earlier. I also believe that there are a certain number of people who decided to retire early, even if they weren't offered a package, due to their work and willingness to adjust to the pandemic. I don't have any stats to back this up, so it's just my opinion. But I would think that if you were a near-retirement healthcare worker, the pandemic might have caused you to reach your limit. And hats off to anyone who works in healthcare. You're probably not listening to this podcast, but you have my deepest respect. I also believe the pandemic caused people to take more time off for mental health and well-being needs. And again, no stats, but it seems logical that with the mental health crisis we're seeing play out through addictions and people living in the margins, I would reason that more than a few are on leave and not working. And let's not forget when we roll up to the restaurant on Tuesday for lunch and see the sign that they're closed due to staffing issues, that COVID is still wreaking havoc. People are still getting sick. And thankfully, because employers are understanding that sick people shouldn't be at work and employees now get some paid sick days, they're not at work. But this also means that employers have a big challenge with staffing their place of business when somebody calls in sick. And if they have COVID, they're out for at least five days. So this exacerbates an already growing problem with the demographic shifts. I don't believe the labor market crunch is only reflective of one thing that's changing, but multiple things layered upon the biggest demographic exodus from the labor market Canada has ever seen. Before we move on to what this means for you in HR, I want to layer one more problem employers are facing when it comes to workers, and that is choice. Workers today have choices. This is not the job market the boomers faced with tons of competition, but rather it's one where there are jobs everywhere. We also have a savvy working population that knows their rights and has expectations. I know the hard-working boomers and even some of the best generation might not understand this, but younger generations have a different expectation of work. They're not entitled, but they expect more of the place they're going to spend the majority of their time. I do too. 
Employers who take advantage of workers, don't want to pay them overtime or for training, or who don't provide them a safe, healthy place to work or any kind of benefits or respect or a competitive wage, they're not going to have an easy time finding people to work for them. And guess what? The employee that has expectations of being treated fairly and with respect also has choices. And this isn't just for entry-level service jobs. HR professionals, accountants, legal assistants, nurses, pharmacy techs, receptionists, electricians, software engineers, and so on, all have a choice where they work. So what is an HR professional to do? Well, for starters, only focusing on recruitment won't be enough. If you can't keep the people you recruit, then what's the point? You will just spend all kinds of money putting help-wanted decals on fleet vehicles, buying billboards and radio ads, and you're still not going to fix your problem. If you want to find out more about how that's playing out for folks, just go look up what's happening at Amazon. Their business model was to have turnover, and it's coming back to bite them. If your workplace is not providing workers what they want, you're going to have painful days ahead. Now, I'm not suggesting that you give in to every whim of every employee, but there are a few things you can do to start to understand what changes might be helpful. And this is going to be different for every organization. The first thing I suggest you do, if you don't already, is start collecting stats on why people are leaving and how many are going in which age groups. You don't know what you don't know. So you really need to find out first. Once you do that, turn your eyes to retention and the wants and needs of the demographic group and groups that are your workforce. This is most likely the echo group. What's important to them? Some of what I've learned over the years is that development and flexibility are really important to this demographic group. The big challenge is that the people making decisions in most organizations are those late bloomers or people like me in the bus generation. And they have different ideals and work expectations. So they see the needs of this younger generation as entitled. And the younger generation looks at us as stressed out workaholics who don't care about employees. So do what you have to do to meet in the middle. But at the very least, start listening to them. The third thing is to challenge what you already offer. As HR people, we know it costs a lot to have people leave and replace them. Today, we also know we may not be able to replace them. So look for the ways that you can challenge what you already offer employees to help keep them. Really challenge policies that curtail flexibility in the workplace. Is it true that they really can't work from home? Or is it just that you don't want them to? Or your managers feel like they can't manage them from afar? To me, that sounds like a manager problem, but... Anyway, you need to figure that out in your organization. The places that I see attracting some of my former colleagues leaving their HR roles are offering immense flexibility and more modern views of work. It really is no surprise. And guess what? It's millennials, hiring millennials. On the topic of retention, the fourth thing I suggest you do, based on some advice that David Foote offered more than 10 years ago, is to find a way to keep your retirees on part-time. This allows for knowledge transfer, and it doesn't take a whole job away from a younger worker. 
It also gives you a really happy employee with flexibility who already knows what and how to do the job. Yes, there's obviously some things you'd have to work out with pensions, etc. But this can be a really great strategy. A lot of people retire and find out that they're bored. And so they go back to work doing something completely different than they used to do. So don't ignore that whole demographic group as being part of the solution. My fifth and final suggestion is one that I have been focused on and talking about and working on for most of my career. And that's to invest in workforce planning and succession planning. When I left my last corporate job, it was the result of a restructuring. And my job was workforce planning. I asked what was going to happen to the workforce planning we were knee deep into and that we were developing for the organization. And the answer I was given was workforce planning isn't going to be a big focus anymore. Huh? I just don't see the logic in that. For many organizations, this is going to be a critical solution to this problem. And if you're in HR and you're not talking about investing in internal development programs and succession planning and understanding how a workforce plan can help you, then this whole problem is going to be exacerbated for you. Josh Burson talked more on this on his blog. And he just published an interesting article called A New Strategy for Corporate Learning, Growth in the Flow of Work. I encourage you to check it out. And I'll leave a link in the show notes where you can find it. He does some incredible work in talent management. And he actually also has an article on there about this very thing we're talking about and the labor market crisis. His viewpoint is more on the American side, but the logic and... The solutions are also very relevant to us here in Canada. Okay, I could go on and talk about this all day, and we haven't even really scratched the surface on how perks and compensation and what employees really want, but I've already taken up a lot of your time. The reality is the HR department of yesterday is not going to meet the needs of the labor market of today, and most definitely not for tomorrow. And if your organization can't find people, they might not exist tomorrow. That's the harsh reality. So I encourage you as an HR professional to dig in and learn more about what's happening in your own workplace and try and broaden your understanding of the issue and the possible solutions. I have some great resources in the show notes and you can find them wherever you're listening. And if you have any thoughts on this topic or any others, or you just want to express some love for the HR mentor, send me a message on LinkedIn, pop me an email, or leave a comment and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. And if you're frustrated with your job search and want a little extra help, be sure to consider my upcoming HR Career Accelerator program. Write down this special discount code, HRMentorPod, all one word, and get signed up for my newsletter so you're the first to know when registration opens. Anyone who registers with that discount code will get a special rate for this program. You can sign up for the newsletter in the links wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're a member of the HR Mentor Fan Club, you'll get a further discount on your registration. Not a member? Sign up today. 
The Fan Club is a virtual space where you can get access to special bonus episodes of the podcast, resources, and free downloads, as well as a chance to access special discounts on future programs, like the HR Career Accelerator. You can find the link in the show notes for this episode at www.vhrmentor.podbean.com, as well as a link to related episodes and the sign-up page for the fan club and my newsletter. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, click the button wherever you're listening. As always, thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Take care. Bye for now.